Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a conversation with Ray Carr. We're going to have a segment right here, a very important segment called Hitting the Mark with Jeffrey Mark and Cindy Verbalin. So, Cindy and Jeffrey, welcome. Good morning, afternoon, or evening, depending upon where you happen to be, probably in your bedroom these days, listening to us. That's where I am. Well, we're glad wherever you may be, in the attic, the basement, in the garage, wherever that happens to be, thank you for listening, everybody. And the reason we call the show Hitting the Mark is because Jeffrey Mark, who I consider the number one expert in Hollywood, and mm-hmm. he knows a lot, not just Hollywood, he knows music, he knows more about the entertainment field than anybody I've ever spoken with. And everything. We're, we're grateful to have him. And Cindy, of course, is an expert in the world of theater. And uh, she's been around the Ray Carr show now for 12 years, basically. And she knows a lot. So together, you know, talking to Jeffrey, we all learn a lot. I know the audience out there is going to learn a lot as well. So Jeffrey, let's start out with uh, a person that you know very well and I admire. His name is Stephen Valentine Patrick William Allen. Really? That's his name. You never tell me what his whole middle name was. Yeah. Am I, am I correct? He didn't like talking about it because it was so uh, theatrical and Irish uh, because Steve came from performing parents. So, of course, they had to really, it's their son, uh, give him a moniker that would be recognizable and uh, fancy. But he never used it professionally. Hmm. Yeah, his I just... mother. His mother was a very, very funny woman. His parents were vaudevillians, and huh. he grew up in theaters. That that was where he spent his childhood in theaters. In fact, uh, one of his very first babysitters was Milton Berle. Uh, his mother and father. Uh, his mother was known by his Belle Montrose, and she'd pay Milton, who was a teenager, uh, but already a star in vaudeville to watch Steve, they would keep him in a drawer mm. as a baby in the dressing room while they were on, and then they'd keep him quiet while Milton was on. Wow. He was born in 1921, wow. so this would have been probably the mid to late 20s, early, early to mid 20s. Well, no, because by the time he was uh, ambulatory and talking and making a lot of noise, uh, his parents parked him with relatives while they were on tour so he could go to kindergarten and go to school and get an education. It's his early time, his time as a toddler and a baby that he was in dressing rooms and, but certainly born into being a part of show business. I don't think really and truly he ever considered anything else. Let's talk a little bit about vaudeville because we hear that word a lot and some of our younger listeners out there don't have any clue of what that really is. And it really is like um, the ultimate variety show as far as I'm concerned. The term is French. Vaudeville, the look of the town. When strolling players would go from town to town entertaining people. And like many things that are said over and over and quickly, vaudeville became vaudeville and, and and then by the time it got put into english vaudeville but vaudeville is joy of life right v-i-l-l-e vaudeville. Oh, okay well not v-i-e no v-i-l-l-e yeah, so it. it was an outgrowth of the british music hall experience 
as Americans began to have a little bit of extra money to entertain themselves. There was no radio, there was no television, there were no films. Really and truly, the Broadway musical as we think of it had not yet been invented. What we had here were operas, operettas, and minstrel shows, which is a discussion for another day because it's a disgusting part of entertainment background that they were wonderful shows the music and comedy for them were wonderful, but the entire thing from start to finish is disgustingly racist. So that, that faded, thankfully, after a while. What replaced it was vaudeville. And vaudeville was and became a very specific kind of entertainment. It was put into two acts, the way a Broadway musical would be. And the running order of the show was very specific. Uh, it opened with what they called a dumb act, an act that neither spoke nor sang. Jugglers, uh, gymnastics, roller skaters, ice skaters, animal acts. And in the course of the first act, you would lead up to a star, someone who had acclaimed, had been on Broadway or had, uh, started making recordings, or somebody who was famous for shooting somebody, someone the folks would come in to see. That was the headliner. You'd have an intermission and a second act pretty much done the same way. So that the last act, almost the last act, was another headliner. And then the absolute last act was purposely awful because you paid a very small amount of money to get in. These shows rotated uh, around the country, six shows a day, in the great big prestige theaters twice a day. It's called the two a day. But you, once you paid your money, if you wanted to, you could just stay there. So they purposely put on a terrible act at the end that no one wanted to sit through, so everyone would get up and leave. <laughs> and once, once they left, they locked the doors until the next show was about to start to make sure the audience is turned over. But everybody who was important in show business, all from the 1880s into the 1930s, sooner or later, appeared in vaudeville. Al Jolson, Fanny Bryce, Eddie Cantor, W.C. Fields, the people who we think of as, as made the original show business. Uh, Bob Hope was in it, Ethel Merman did it for a while in the 30s, Bing Crosby did it for a while. Um, it was the thing to do. And then technology took over. And when radio became a thing, when I say it became a thing, I mean when network radio happened, where the concept of Jeffrey Mark is in New York doing a medley of Irving Berlin songs, and in Los Angeles, three hours later, they're going to hear the same show. A network of stations around the country all playing the same program. That happened around 1928. It took a little while for it to infiltrate America. Uh, unfortunately for vaudeville, good heavens, we're doing a show about Steve Allen. I'm giving a lecture about vaudeville. Well, but unfortunately, we're going to get in. We're going to get into Steve Allen. And then Steve Allen start. He was born during the vaudeville era. Yes, and he was exposed to it because his parents were vaudevillians. Unfortunately for Steve. 
for Belmontros and for everybody in vaudeville. The coming of radio happened almost simultaneously with Wall Street laying an egg and the depression. Mm-hmm. So now people were very short of money, even the couple of bucks it would take to get into a vaudeville theater. And they could buy a radio on time and listen to all of this entertainment at home and not get dressed up and not buy dinner and not have to pay for car fare and babysitters. And America could sit at home in its underwear, have a beer or have a glass of wine or smoke a cigar and enjoy the best of every entertainment possible right in their homes. That's where Steve enters show business because Steve enters show business on the radio about 10 years later. Steve had uh, what I have, asthma, and was sent to Arizona to live so that he could breathe better. And he got on the radio. And eventually that, that got him to Los Angeles. And Steve invented a kind of a radio show that really had not been on the radio before. And if it had, it had not taken flight the way it did with Steve. An open-ended interview variety show where he would have on very clever performers who were names, but, but not read a script. He would talk with them. The, the radio mics were on a grand piano and Steve would noodle on the piano because Steve was a jazz pianist. He'd play, he'd sing, he'd play for them, they'd sing. And he talked to them like we're talking right now. And he got very famous people to give interviews the likes of which they'd never given before in their lives because it wasn't pre-planned. Most interviewing back then, and to some extent today, the interviewer and the interviewee discussed beforehand, here's what I'm asking. Okay, well, here are my answers. Everybody knew what they were doing. With Steve, it was free form. And he got Al Jolson to do it because it became a thing. Late night in Los Angeles, everyone was listening to Steve Allen. Everybody wanted to be in the audience to watch it. And all the stars wanted to be on with him. And he got Al Jolson, who I don't think ever gave a real interview in his whole life. Certainly not on the air. And they sat down and he got Jolson to talk like man to man and sing. And, uh, Steve released an album of that, which I am very happy to say I own. What was it like, Jeffrey? I mean, Al Jolson, you know, who has had such a, a storied career. What did he reveal in that interview that was, um, you know, interesting and shocking or interesting or crazy or anything? I mean, I'm just I don't think I don't think anything was shocking. It's just America had never heard Al Jolson speak unless it was from a script. His Broadway shows, his vaudeville act, his radio shows, his films, they were scripted. And you saw Al Jolson, the performer. Al Jolson, the human being, never came across. And for the first time, he talked about being a husband and being a father and health issues that he'd had what it was like to entertain during the war, how hard that was for him, uh, as opposed to press agent puffery. Now, these days, that doesn't really happen that much. 
I mean, I have, I have a, a wonderful, wonderful man who does my publicity and my career, Harlan Ball, but he doesn't tell me what to say. Uh, he just arranges for me to say it. In those days, they, they, they planned every comma and period in every sentence you said is all very controlled. So people love this. And as I, as I was starting to say, Steve released it as an album you could buy. And it, it, it sold just everywhere. And uh, I own the master copy. Steve gave the master copy wow. to me as a gift. That's very impressive. Uh, it's, funny. it's funny. Uh, after Steve died, his wife, Jane Meadows, and his son, Bill, and I were at a show business function. And Jane turned to Bill and said, I can't find it anywhere. Where is the master copy of the Jolson thing? And I said, Jane, you can't find it because Steve gave it to me. And she started to say something and you could see her changing her mind. And she grabbed my arm with her hand. She said, well, then I know that it's in good hands. She said, Jeffrey, you aren't the biggest star Steve discovered, but you were the last one, which I thought was an enormous generous thing for her to say to me. And this is hitting the mark. And this is Jeffrey Mark along with my compadres, Ray Carr and Cindy Verbalin. And we're talking about Steve Allen. 